1: Welcome to Lost in Science. This is the end of 2017 and so it's time for a 2017 clip show or wrap-up special where we talk about what's happened this year. Some of the highlights, some of the lowlights, some of the things you may have missed, some of the things that we want you to think about as you go into a hopeful 2018. My name is Chris and I will be talking about the climate of the year, what happened in, with climate change this year, because that is a big story every year. And yeah, some ups and downs, but we shall hear about that.
0: And I think we always need a bit of a recap bring it to the forefront of people's mind. But I want to talk about um, the March for Science. So that has a little bit to do with what's been happening with climate change this year and how people are a little bit fed up about how politicians um, inform their policy, not necessarily on the best scientific evidence that's available. So the March for Science was a global movement over, I think, maybe 500 events and a million people. And um, I'm going to take us back there.
1: Thanks, Claire. Manisha, what have you got for us?
2: Today I'm actually going to recap some conservation success stories. I thought it would be nice to end the year on a high note and talk about some of the good things that we've done in the world.
3: Excellent. And mm. Stu, what about you? I'm going to be talking about how the robots are coming to take over everything <laughs> and we'll all be out of a job.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. There is an amazing science up. Before we go on, I just want to give a bit of a shout out to another science hero that may be neglected this year. Um, we checked the, uh, the Google search, what's popular on the internet this year. Apparently one of the most popular things for kids to do was to make slime. Chemistry officially became one of the most popular things in the world. So, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. We don't have the recipe right here. Uh, me, I just generally put a vase of flowers out for a week and I get slime in that, mid-
3: magically appearing. I think you'll find that's algae. Oh, okay. Well, let's yeah. sort. Of, or You know, some people call it kombucha and then they drink it. So <laughs> Right.
0: I wake up in the morning and there are slime trails around from our lovely slug neighbours. Yeah. Which is another type of slime and one that I'm not particularly pleased with. So kids of Australia, I'm not pleased.
1: Okay, Nish, do you have a favourite slime?
2: I like all slime. All slime is good by me.
1: Excellent. Mm. See a positive note. And with that, let us see what twenty seventeen has in store.
0: Of the great things to come out of 2017 is that people around the world are no longer standing by while well, politicians of all creeds ignore scientific evidence. I feel like scientists around the world woke up and started marching. Now this is best evidenced by over 600 much for science rallies and marches that took place over the world on Earth Day on April 22, um, including all across Australia. So I'm sure some of our listeners would remember back then. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners would remember that we actually did a story on the March for Science back in April. Manisha, that was um, you were reporting from the field.
2: I was, yeah. I was at um, the Melbourne March for Science um, in front of the State Library interviewing some of the participants on how how they thought about or what they thought about everything going on and why they were there.
0: And it was a huge event in Melbourne, wasn't it?
2: It was massive. There were so many people there. It was so big.
0: Yeah. And what I found really interesting was it wasn't just scientists. It was just people of all different fields, different like just a totally diverse crowd. Yeah,
2: yeah. There was everybody, like there were people with from different backgrounds or people of different ages, different genders. Like it was a good mix of people. It was just a really good... Um, maybe like a cross-section of the community. It was a lot of people there.
0: Yeah, and if you need a reminder, so the general philosophy for the movement is um, science, not silence, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and pretty much to emphasise that science upholds a common good for all and to call for evidence-based policy um, in the public's best interest for health and safety of life on this planet. So the march actually had quite humble beginnings on a Reddit thread. That's how it got started. um, After um, the Women's March against Trump, there were a few people who um, were quite furious, and rightly so, that Trump had removed all references to anthropogenic climate change on government websites. Remember when when he did that? Yeah. So um, anyway, it turns out this sentiment of politics not listening to what science has to say um, isn't just a US thing. It's reflected around the world. People were fed up with politicians not utilising the science that we had to make informed decision about our planet's future. So issues like famine, uh, communicable diseases and vaccines, pollution of the ocean, climate change, all of these challenges are addressable by science. And people just didn't think that the best evidence was being listened to. So from these humble beginnings began a mighty march. Global attendance was in excess of a million people, with the largest march being over 80,000 in Washington, D.C., and then marches happening all across Australia well into the thousands. Like all good marches, there have to be some great signs, um, and scientists love a good pun so I just like to um remind everyone of some of the greatest um signs that were at the science at the March for Science. I'm not a mad scientist, I'm absolutely furious. <laughs> 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 um or so bad, even introverts are here. Uh two signs that were together, one just said protest sign, spelt S I N E, and then protest cosine spelt c-o-s-i-n-e um (laughs) what do trump and adams have in common they make up everything lol (laughs) and of course um the protest song heard throughout all of the marches was of course what do we want evidence-based science when do we want it after peer review so that was pretty pretty great. Anyway, something that did come out um, after the march for science was that science does belong to everyone um, and it should be pursued for the benefit of all people and the health of the environment we depend upon. So yeah, like Manish was saying, if you've seen photos of the march, this is really reflected. So yeah, it wasn't just the scientists who were marching, it was Diverse people who were standing united and committed to the promotion of science, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, disability, sexual orientation, religion, or lack thereof, and/or political affiliation or socioeconomic status. So, knowing how much disappointing news does get reported throughout the year, I think um, banding together under the science banner is definitely a sentiment I think we should be taking into 2018.
1: Okay, yes, 2017. The climate continued to change, but by how much and what happened about it? Well, let us let us bring your eyes back because eyes because I don't know that we um, we talk about it enough because it just seems to become be an ongoing depressing story, doesn't it? Look, we are still in December, so it is too early to say where 2017 itself stands on the scale of the hottest years ever. But we can say that the first six months were the second hottest. Ever recorded. They were second only to 2016. So, again, yet another thing to add to the annals of 2017 only saved by coming after the worst year ever, being 2016. Anyway, that is the global picture. What about locally, you might ask? Well, the winter of 2017 was the hottest since our national records began recorded in 1910, so that's something to to be proud about.
3: Is that like a nationwide sort of average?
1: Nationwide average. is 1.9 degrees Celsius above the long-term baseline average across the nation, yes. Uh, We also learned in 2017 that the oceans are warming faster than we thought. Uh, The corrections to satellite measurements have shown that the lower atmosphere is warming faster than we Thought and that the observations we're seeing of temperature agree better with the more severe climate models. So, something to be <laughs> cheery about. Um, don't worry, Manisha, it gets funnier. So, what else happened? Sea ice. Sea ice reached record lows in both the Arctic and the Antarctic. Asian mountain glaciers were predicted to lose a third of their mass by 2100, and a 5,800 square kilometer iceberg broke off the Larsen Sea ice shelf in Antarctica. Now, that itself won't cause sea levels to rise, you know, much like the ice in your drink doesn't cause your drink to get more full. But it could act as a stopper to glaciers, which then could flow into the ocean. So something else to look forward to. There was a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which claimed that a sixth mass extinction event is already underway. They used the term biological annihilation. Uh, So remember that one? And also back in Australia, of course, we had uh, back-to-back mass coral bleaching events affecting two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef. How are you feeling so far? Mm. Thanks. Also, also, uh, one way that twenty seventeen was worse than twenty sixteen was that for the first time in four years, global carbon dioxide emissions went up, although predicted to um, to have grown. Uh, they grew up this year by two percent after having been flat for three years, despite there being economic growth. What, uh,
0: what what did they put that down to?
1: Well, the it's hard to say because uh, the bulk of the growth in emissions is from China. So they've got a 3.5% increase in their emissions um, due to an increase in coal burning. But there have been decreased reductions in both the EU and the, and the US. So like the EU, for instance, they've been having about 2% decrease every year and now it's down to about 0.2%. Mm. Uh, so is that a Trump factor? Not the EU, the u s the u s certainly um, as a trump factor but its it, yeah it's it's mostly um, coming out of china I mean there have been other things like India is still increasing its emissions, but not at as high a rate as they were so yeah i don't know speaking of India though uh, the Adani mine this is uh, this is of course the local big concerns locally in australia but there's a chance now i think you know this is where we're going to start trying to around to be optimistic um uh, you know maybe there's a chance it won't go ahead now they're rapidly losing financial support um the recent state election in queensland showed that uh, they're losing political support. So, you know, you never know. Watch this space. They may actually crumble. Um, also, politically this year, we had uh, on the national level, we had the federal government introducing their national energy guarantee, which contains both an emissions guarantee and a reliability guarantee. So not itself kind of a carbon tax or a trading scheme or that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem to be unqualified support for renewables, but at least is some sort of mechanism that, you know, with parameters that can be tweaked. So perhaps it's something. Okay? It's something. No? Silence. Crickets. Okay. What else? Um, all right. So the government also did maintain the support for coal power. In particular, they called for the Liddell Power Station in New South Wales to be kept open. But AGL, the operator, has announced that they will definitely close the plant. And they're going to concentrate on lower emission technologies instead. So things are happening. And these lower emission technologies include things like batteries. So I think we should turn to friend of the show, Elon Musk... Um, who, who built a giant Tesla battery installation in South Australia. Uh, it was switched on. In November, um, they switch on ahead of schedule to deliver stored wind power to the electricity grid. So there are some positive notes there, thanks to our supervillain overlords. <laughs> um, but no, look I, look, I guess the point is that things are, things are changing gradually. We have technology continuing to develop, we have, we have political shifts happening very slowly, something backwards and forwards. If you look at the Trump effect, it's not fast enough, is what we're seeing. But yeah, look, maybe let's not give up yet, I think.
2: So after all of that cheery news from Chris, um, I'm actually going to cheer us up with some good news from this year. So I wanted to end the year on a high note. I think it's a good thing to do. So I wanted to talk about some of the conservation success stories from this year. Um, I love hearing about the successes because I feel like we have something to hold on to. Some, something's actually working and there might be some hope for the future after all. Uh, So today I am highlighting uh, two conservation success stories, and both of them are an animal conservation story. And my first one is about sea turtles. So in September... Antonio Marzaris and his colleagues published a study looking at global populations of sea turtles. And using abundance records from seven different species, we have seven species on Earth, they were able to demonstrate that the estimated population sizes are actually growing around the globe. So our sea turtles are finally doing a lot better and all of the conservation efforts have been um, successful. The authors even noticed that some of the populations around the globe have actually increased by 95%. So the increases in most of the populations were between 35 and 95 percent so that's a pretty good success rate for the year. The authors did put the growth in numbers down to the conservation efforts that have been taking place since about the 1950s and a majority of these tactics include strict fishing regulations and also beach protection measures. So with the fishing regulations to prevent bycatches and things like that and then with the beach protection to ensure that where the sea turtles are laying their eggs and where they're nesting is protected from um, predation and also from human activity. So although this is good news, it should be noted that six of the seven species are still on the IUCN's um, endangered species list. So it's a good thing that it's happening, especially for these species, but they are not yet out of harm's way. So I hope that like in the future that these efforts will continue and that these numbers will also improve. My second success story comes from uh, Brazil in the golden lion tamarind monkey. The golden lion tamarin is a small monkey, and it was actually thought to be extinct until about the 1970s. And in the 1970s, 200 individuals were found in a very uh, secluded part of a coastal forest in Brazil. And um, since these monkeys were found, uh, there have been many different conservation efforts in place to help increase the numbers, um, including captive breeding programs, and this is what's proven to be most successful. So captive breeding programs are where um, individuals are taken out of the wild, and they're, putting into, they're put into institutions like zoos, and they're helped along in the breeding process. The idea uh, with these programs is to provide a safe place for the animals away from predation pressures or problems like lack of food and other resources so that they could breed without hindrance. And um, the ultimate goal of a captive breeding program is to increase the numbers of the species to levels where they can be reintroduced into the wild and sustain a healthy and viable population. So the good news with the golden lion tamarind monkey in Brazil is that this year the monkey was reintroduced into 17 different forest fragments and wildlife reserves in Brazil. And there are over 1,200 individuals in the wild. So that's a pretty good success rate. And hopefully their populations will sustain themselves in the wild. So yeah, so those are two great conservation stories to brighten your day. The sea turtles and the golden tamarind monkey, they're on the right track. And I really hope that their trends continue into the coming years and that we get more and more conservation success stories.
3: Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words. To seek out new science and new explanations. To boldly go where no radio has gone before. So one of the things I noticed that sort of slipped into mainstream consciousness in 2017 was the concept of artificial intelligence or, as it's widely known, AI. um,
0: I feel like everyone got quite worried about it this year. Yeah,
3: it it seemed to be um, – It went from
0: science fiction to – Reality.
2: Well, reality and also
0: like science fear. Mm.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things – a lot of the media started picking up on the idea of – artificially intelligent machines taking over everyone's job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They took our jobs. Uh, but <laughs>
2: oh.
3: in a way, it's kind of like a – it's a bit of a Luddite dog whistle, I think, calling to arms all the workers of the world to fight <laughs> the incoming robot worker revolution that's supposedly on our doorstep. But sensationalism aside, it's a long way from being the end of work for most people. And – Damn it. And perhaps,
2: <laughs> even if
3: it was the end of work, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. But look, the kind of jobs robots are currently capable of doing are simple, unskilled, repetitive labor. So, you know, things like manufacturing, we've seen for decades, we've seen robots building cars in footage from on Sesame Street and various Beyond 2000 style TV programs. But that's not really to say that that's a, a huge problem. Like, for example, in Australia, wasn't because of robots that we don't have a car manufacturing industry. It's because the car manufacturers took all of their work offshore and gave it to cheaper labor in other countries. Not robots, just other people. So there are plenty of quizzes online at the moment and the articles saying, you know, how safe is your job? And similar rhetorical questions like, you know, you can put in your really? job. Yeah, and it will tell you whether your yeah, job is right. going to be around in 20 years or whether you'll be replaced by...
0: I feel, like, robot. I feel like I feel like the idea that robots are going to replace professional jobs, like um, legal work, or you know, work, well, there was a there was you know, like that that sort of idea really has really caught on in the last six or twelve months. When you
1: think about like with the effect that say um, you know bookkeeping software and that kind of thing, accounting software must have had on yep. the the sort of workforce, it was a highly skilled workforce. Mm.
3: yeah absolutely and it's, on the legal thing there was the guy has built um, working sort of decision trees that will help people yeah. present to court stuff that will get them out of fines and and get their uh, you know application for residency and yeah. things through really quickly so it does actually it has the potential to replace certain, certain, types, certain types skilled types work
1: even even medicine think like the idea of being like electronic decision computerized decision assistance sort of thingies for working out. Because computers can store a lot more information on symptoms and be a lot more objective.
3: Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that will be a good thing for people. But, I mean, you know, like the idea that machines will put people out of work, that's been happening pretty much forever since we started building machines. Yeah. Um, But
0: machines have also created new types of work. Absolutely.
3: But, you know, one of the examples I always think of is washing clothes, is that people used to get paid or people used to make a living out of collecting people's washing and going and washing it and then bringing it back all clean and washed. Those people obviously don't have those jobs anymore because everyone has a washing machine. But that's actually made more work for everyone rather than making less work for one person. It's actually meant everyone has to do their own washing now so they've got a little bit less time in their day as a result of having a washing machine. And not get paid for it. And not get paid for it. But, you know, I mean, that's a pretty drudgy job, the old-fashioned hand washing of people's clothes. So I'm not sure anyone's complaining that they don't have to do that anymore either. But I guess the, the real question and the thing that makes me think about what result this is going to have is not that it's going to happen because it is likely that if a machine can do something, it's likely to be able to do it more efficiently and possibly cheaper than a person. But what does that actually mean? if all the labour is done by machines, where do the economic returns for the labour actually end up? You don't pay a machine to do the job. So who's making the money and what happens to that money? Mm, so, Elon
0: Musk is probably making the money. It's the
3: 1%. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and if it all gets funnelled upwards. But, it, you know, it sort of brings into question the purpose of the economy itself. Uh, the economy exists to make sure people have food and goods and services and all these things but is it just becoming a thing to make more make a bigger economy and is there really a purpose to that if you're just building the economy bigger and bigger but then there's no one who's got any money to spend on the things you're making what's the point in doing that anyway a bit of a philosophical tangent right there so one of the other dark sides of the artificial intelligence uh revolution is the use of autonomous and lethal machines in warfare and potentially in law enforcement, which has led some people, notable boffins like Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk himself and Bill Gates to start campaigning for strict regulation in the development of AI in general and specifically on um, executive AI, which can actually do things beyond its initial um, tasks that it was designed for. So what's you you're saying that we don't need to worry about the robots taking our jobs. We need to worry about them killing us. Potentially.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, and happy message. Happy yeah, message happy, yeah,
3: happy message. Uh, but look, we're probably a long way off from the Terminator or Skynet. But self-teaching and autonomous learning machines already exist. There was a machine that beat everyone in the world who was an expert player of Go, which is a mm-hmm. strategic game, sort of similar sort of board gamey type thing but it taught itself how to play and then beat all the people who played against it oh, um, so yeah it's it's um it's a bit of a worry but you know it might be a good idea to f- start thinking about regulating these things now rather than after they've already figured out how to do things that we didn't mm. teach them how to yeah. do yeah, yeah. no um,
0: robots allowed to play go well, we already don't, we don't <laughs> let them we
3: don't let them compete in the Olympics
1: or in other sports you don't have like a robot team in like yeah no, you can't, that'd you, be can't so scary. you can't do the
3: shot put with like, a tank yeah
1: although
0: um, there is a worldwide competition where um, a bunch of autonomous Autonomous robots, like, bipedal autonomous robots um, play soccer against each other. Oh, yeah. We've reported on the the soccer tournament. And the the main objective of that is one day the robots beat the humans. That's what they want.
3: Well, they've got to have an aim.
0: Yeah, I know, but... They could
3: probably beat the Socceroos right
1: now.
0: Are they just just like... Hey, we beat Honduras. So did
3: the robots.
1: are (laughs) Are they just plastic people on sticks... That giant, like people turn around the <laughs> sticks and, like, you know, on the football. It's not, not football.
2: Okay. No, it's
3: not. No. Qu- it's not quite football. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But you know, I, I think in in uh, it would be it would be kind of great if somehow we got benefit from this economic prosperity generated by machines doing all the work, and then we could have more time to pursue creative, fulfilling lives, doing other things that machines can't teach themselves how to do. And from what I've seen. Creative work is not really under much threat just yet. I saw um, recently an AI was fed all seven Harry Potter novels and then wrote its own Harry Potter novel. The book is, let's just say it was not great in most ways. So the title it came up with is, and you can see this would look great on a movie poster as well, Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash. (laughs) (laughs) And for all the criticism of the original books, let's just say the quality would not be making JK Rowling shake in a bit. I'll just read a little bit of the uh the first paragraph of Harry Potter and the oh, portrait of what, what looked like ash. a large pile of ash. <laughs> the castle ground snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great black ceiling which was full of blood. Oh, <laughs> The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. So, look, we're not too worried about the AIs being the next Shakespeare or anything at this point, but maybe we should just keep an eye on them for now, and uh, we'll worry about that later on.
1: And that is it for another year of Lost in Science. Should old acquaintances be forgot and never brought to mind? Should papers published... Be lost and no. Look,
0: I'm just very sorry we didn't bring you a great recipe for slime, listeners. Yeah, but you know, there's always corn flour and water and food dye. That's to right. To keep your kids entertained this Look, Most, most of the recipes I
3: saw were were using PVA glue as well, which is which I think gives it some sort of longevity, but. Don't just start mixing them willy nilly. Probably, probably go and look up a recipe.
1: Or on the other hand, do start mixing it willy nilly and send in your pictures to us. <laughs> Lost in Science, um, because you can you can send things to us. We can, we can be found on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on three CR, I believe is our. Main name. Um, we have an email account, which is lostinsci Lost Sci- at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please, when you're doing anything over of the holidays, just, just write us a letter. Tell us what you're doing. Ask us a question. Um, tweet have, at us. Tweet at us on Lost in Science mm-hmm. 1. We are, because we are the best. That's why we are Lost in Science 1. Um, Lost in We've also found on the radio, of course. Um, Lost in Science, it is, does air across Australia on the Community Radio Network. It is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Look, that's it. It's been a wonderful year, guys. Um, Stu, Manisha, Claire, Thank you for Chris. sciencing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess we'll see everyone again or hear each other again next year. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah?
0: 2018. Stay tuned for our summer series, which is coming up. Oh, yes. Which is coming up. Um, our summer series from the Laboratory, where you will hear lots of stories about scientists. From scientists,
3: from and, other scientists and other
0: people. From scientists and other people to keep you entertained over the summer.
3: It will be a
1: gas, as they say, in. Um, some phases of Or reality. a solid or yeah. a liquid. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yes, but you can find that, of course, on your podcast. Uh, you look us up and find us on the radio station. Once again, Sunsage, Stu, Manisha, Claire and Chris will get
2: Lost Inside, Lost Inside.